Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We're so thankful that you're here today. And if you are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're so thankful for visitors. We are appreciative of the fact that you come our way from week to week. We encourage you to continue to come. If you are looking for a church home, then I want to encourage you to decide that this will be your church home. It may be that you have questions about the church here and you want to know how you could be involved and I know that our elders would be more than happy to sit down to talk to you about your role of involvement in the work of the church here and what you could do to help us expand the borders of the kingdom in this community. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 32, the passage that was read a moment ago. We are actually going to be looking at the first five verses of Psalm 32 as we think about the fall of a good man. In looking at Psalm 32, the man under consideration is King David. David, as you well know, was described as a man after God's own heart. And yet, in the context of this psalm, we see David, a broken man, a fallen man. And yet, as a result of God's goodness, a forgiven man. One of the great things to me about Scripture is that it does not gloss over the mistakes of people. David was by far and away one of the greatest men that you and I could ever read about in the Old Testament scriptures. David was a good man, but David made a grave mistake. And yet out of that mistake, there was forgiveness. And so I want us to think for a moment or two. First of all, we want to talk about his fall. And then secondly, we're going to look at his forgiveness. As we think about the fall of King David, there are a lot of things that could be said in relationship to his fall. But I want to begin by talking about the nature of his fall. When you look at Psalm 32, the background for this psalm is 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And I would also link to Psalm 32 and 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, Psalm 51. Because Psalm 51 is what has been called the penitential psalm. And in that psalm you have David literally pouring out his heart to God as a result of what he has done. Now we talk about the nature of his fall. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David was the king of Israel. And according to the writer, David saw a very beautiful woman, a lady by the name of Bathsheba, and he inquired about her. The response was, is this not the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, that right there should have been enough to have stopped David. But he sent for her. 
And the Bible tells us that they engaged in an adulterous relationship. David was a very powerful man, prominent. He had many of the things that people today are looking for. And yet David made a very grave mistake. So we talk about the nature of his fall. But let me just isolate for you some of the names that are used to describe his fall. Look now at Psalm 32. Here's what David said. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. There are four terms that are used here that I believe help to give us insight into the nature of David's fall and also we have terms that describe his fall. First, there is transgression. The word transgression carries with it the idea of the breaking of law. Now, what law did David break? He broke the law of God. John would tell us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, that sin is the transgression of the law. In Exodus chapter 20, God had given what we know to be the Ten Commandments. These commandments were not difficult to understand. David, as the king of Israel, knew those commands. David knew those commands very well. If you look at those commands, let's just talk for a minute or two about the commands that he broke. First of all, God said, you shall not covet. David saw this beautiful woman. She belonged to Uriah the Hittite. He wanted her. And so he set things in motion to, to obtain her. And then secondly, not only does the scripture say you're not to covet, but the Bible says you shall not commit adultery. David committed adultery. Thirdly, the same, the same chapter, Exodus chapter 20, says you shall not murder. David had Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, killed on the front line of battle. And then there's another interesting commandment, you shall not steal. In short, what did David do? He stole the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so the word transgression is used. And then there is the word sin. The term sin literally means a missing of the mark. Here is the divine ideal, here is the will of God, and here is man missing that mark. Paul would say in Romans 3, verse 23, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, he would go on to say, all have sinned. In other words, fallen short of that divine mark. The third term that is used, iniquity, which means gross wickedness, unrighteousness. What David had done was wicked in the eyes of God. It was unrighteous. It was ungodly. The fourth term that is used is guile or deceit. 
And if you read 2 Samuel chapter 11, you'll find that really what David tried to do was conceal his sin. He put things in motion so that he could somehow disguise what had been done and Uriah the Hittite would never know that he had had sexual relations with Bathsheba. It didn't work, so what did he do? The last stop, put him on the front line of battle, have him killed. That's exactly what he did. So, some of the, name, some of the names that are used to describe his fall. And then there's a third thing that I want, I want you to see in our text. And that is the needling or nagging as a result of his fall. When I think about David, David was a man after God's own heart. David had a good heart. David was a good man, but he made a grave mistake. And so I believe that when David engaged in that sexual liaison, there was guilt. Now granted, it took Nathan the prophet standing before him and, and, and basically calling his, calling his hand in the matter, calling him out. But there is, in verses 3 and 4, what I would say to be the weariness of sin. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. David here describes the weariness, the burden, the guilt that he felt as a result of his transgression. Guilt is a terrible thing. When, when you and I understand the will of God and transgress that law, what happens? There's guilt. Guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. If we take the appropriate steps to rid ourselves of that guilt. There are a lot of people in our world today that are using any number of outside stimulants in an effort to alleviate guilt. Some turn to alcohol. Some to other forms of drugs, chemical substances, prescription drugs. That momentary high somehow gives them a sense of escape. The problem is when you fail to go to the source of the guilt and address it biblically, then it's only a temporary high. It's only a temporary escape. And that's basically what that, that's basically what happens in the lives of people today. So there is the weariness of sin and then linked to that, the weight of sin. Sin can be a terrible thing. It literally weighs people down. Look at David. When you read Psalm 51, what has been called the penitential psalm, David's heart is broken. Why? Because of the weight of sin. The Hebrew writer talks about in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, laying aside every sin. And he said, the weight that so easily besets us. The weight of sin is a terrible burden to bear. And then the third thing that I would, 
call attention to the wasteland of sin. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they have the idea that a life of sin is a life of glamour and happiness and fun and peace and tranquility. But when, when, you, look beyond, when you look beyond the veil and you see sin for what it really is, it's a wasteland. Let me give you an example. Look at Luke 15. You remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son had asked for his inheritance, and the Bible says that, that he gathered all together and took a journey into a far country. Jesus, in his narration of that parable, said that when he had spent all on profligate living, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. I have no doubt this young man went out into that far country looking for the bright lights of the city. He was, he was looking for a good time. But once he had emptied his pockets, he found himself in a barren wasteland. Jesus said, no man gave unto him. He was literally out eating with the hogs. A terrible picture. So there is the weariness of sin, the weight of sin, and the wasteland of sin. The second thing I want you to look at in our text today, first, the fall of David, but then the forgiveness of David. What about forgiveness? How is it that David was able to enjoy forgiveness? Well, first of all, there is the coming clean with his sin. David had to, number one, be aware of his sin, and then number two, he had to acknowledge his sin. So having, having said that, let's just think for a moment ago, for a moment or two about his awareness of sin. Go back again and look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. You remember Nathan the prophet had been instructed by God to go and stand before David and tell him a parable. The parable was intended to drive home the point that David, you have made a grave mistake in your life. David got the point. How did he get the point? Well, Nathan the prophet said, you are the man. In other words, David, you're guilty. You have violated the will of God. You have transgressed the law of God. What about this idea of awareness? There, there are a lot of people that are living in sin. Maybe they don't know it. And so they have to be made aware of that. And sometimes when that awareness seeps through their mind, there is a light that goes off. Jesus said about the prodigal son in Luke 15, when he came to himself. David was the king of Israel. David knew the law of God. David was a very powerful and prominent individual. David came to himself. 
It took Nathan the prophet saying, look, David, you're the man. You have messed up. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, Paul talks about the servant of the Lord talking to people that have been taken captive by the devil. And he uses a phrase that I think helps to describe this awareness that we're talking about. He said that they may come to their senses. You ever talk to people and sometimes you wonder, what, what, what's wrong? Why is it you, you just don't understand what I'm trying to tell you? Sometimes we'll say, have you lost your mind? David needed to come to his senses. David, you have, you have coveted another man's wife. You have committed adultery with her. You've had her husband killed. You've stolen her. You, you need to come to your senses now. And so there is awareness. And then there is acknowledgement. Look at verse 5. David said, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Well, let's, just, let's just stop there. David was very forthright. Sometimes I think people have the idea that they can hide their sinful lives from Almighty God. That's not possible. Whatever we do, it's all out in the open before God. Now, I would freely grant that we can do things, we can say things, we can, we can be involved in activities that are unknown to other people. We sometimes talk about skeletons in our closet. Well, we may have skeletons in our closet. There may be things that we have said and done, places we've been that nobody knows about, but God knows. The Bible says, neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight. All things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Solomon said, God knows all and God sees all in Proverbs chapter 15. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. And, and so the best thing to do is come clean, acknowledge. So David acknowledged his transgression. In Psalm 51, David said against you, and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness. Was David guilty? Absolutely. Did David acknowledge his shortcomings and his failures? Yes, he did. I want to just stop here and make an observation. Sometimes it takes a Nathan the prophet to tell people what, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is wrong, not by my standards necessarily, not by the standards of the government necessarily, not by the standards of the community necessarily, but by the standard of God's word. Now, it may be that people do not like what they hear from this book, but the bottom line is truth is truth. This book is what it is, and it does not change. Neither is it subject to alteration. 
The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. When we talk about adultery or covetousness or murder or theft or stealing or whatever, that's not subject to the debate. To debate. That subject has been dealt with by Almighty God. It was wrong then, it's wrong today. It may be that we have to tell people, look, this is what the Bible says. You can either like it or dislike it. You can accept it or reject it. But truth is what it is. So, David was made aware of his sin and he acknowledged his sin. He came clean. The second key thing I want you to see is that David enjoyed cleansing for his sin. Look at verses one and two. Listen to what David said. In Psalm 51, you have him expressing the sentiments of his heart. I heard many years ago somebody say that whenever you read Psalm 51, you need to read with it Psalm 32. Why is that? Because David is pouring out his heart to God. He is acknowledging his wrongdoing. What is it he wants? Forgiveness. Restoration. He wants to be back in fellowship with God. So in Psalm 32 at verse 1, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute or charge iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now look at verse 5 again. I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. First and foremost, we need to, we need to learn to accept God's forgiveness. Now, the terms of the law have changed in a lot of ways when we look at the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. Today, can we be forgiven? Yes, we can. Let's just say that we've never obeyed the gospel. Is there hope for me? What if I have lived a life of murder, theft, adultery, covetousness, etc.? Is there hope for me? Absolutely. What's the hope? It's the gospel. When, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said, in whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Let me tell you, we have the greatest message known to man. This book right here is a book that extends peace to fallen humanity. The gospel is literally the good news. What's the good news we have to share? that Christ died for our sins, that we can be forgiven. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, repent of our sins, confess his name, and then are immersed in a watery grave of baptism, then we enjoy forgiveness. In Acts chapter 2, when the apostle Peter preached on Pentecost Day, the Bible tells us he indicted many of those people because he said, you have crucified and slain the Son of God. Can you think of anything worse than that? to be guilty of the death of Jesus? They cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent, turn from a life of sin and be baptized. In other words, be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. When you do that, what will you enjoy? Forgiveness, the remission of your sins? Well, 
Is that promise extended to people today? Absolutely. When you obey the gospel, the gospel of Christ, every sin forgiven. You enjoy all spiritual blessings and God adds you to the church, Acts 2, 47. Well, what about somebody that has been a child of God, but they get caught up in the world. They go back into a life of sin. Is there hope for them? God's second law of pardon. John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, there's forgiveness with God. So we have to learn to forgive, we have to learn to accept the forgiveness of Almighty God. We have to, we have to, to look at Scripture and ask ourselves, have we done what God has said to do in order to obtain forgiveness? And then once we learn to accept forgiveness, we have to learn to forgive ourselves. David was a great man. David had to live with what he had done for the rest of his life. There are things that we do and say that are a part of our past. Can we be forgiven? Unequivocally, yes. We can be forgiven. But sometimes there are scars, reminders. I have scars on my hand where I've had stitches. Those scars are not going away. If anything, they may even become more prominent as time goes by. The point is this. Yes, there are scars to living a life of sin, but we have to accept what the Bible says, that God has forgiven us and move on. The Hebrew writer said in the long ago, as far, well, the psalmist said, we'll look at Hebrews in a minute. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us in Psalm 103. The Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. When God says he forgives, he means it. And God does not want us to live as if we have not been forgiven. So in Psalm 32, what do you have? You have the fall of a good man. But on the bright side, you have the forgiveness of a good man. God is willing to forgive. I want to close today by asking this question. Where are you in your spiritual life? Are you a Christian? Have you done what the Bible says to do to become a New Testament Christian? If not, could I encourage you to take a step of obedient faith? To put your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm he, you'll die in your sins. To repent, to confess, to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, to know the joy of salvation, and then to live faithfully until death to live in hope of life eternal which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. It may be that you're here today 
Maybe your life is not what it ought to be as a child of God. Could we pray with you and for you? Did you know that James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.